Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Vanessa Dunn-Guyton, and I am the proud founder and executive director of Hush No More. Hush No More supports survivors when they're ready to come forward to share their story, when they want somebody to listen to, when they need resources. We are here in our community to provide training and to just make noise. That's what it's been about all month long. You know, it's October, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and so we are making noise raising awareness because we need it. It is needed. Welcome to Hush No More Champions. It is always my goal to come before you to bring you some good information and to just uplift you. So that is what we're going to do today. I'm really excited about this episode because we need to hear from survivors. I want people to know that this is real, that this is really happening and that they're not alone. You are not alone. There are other people who are going through things right along with you. And so that's important that you understand that people care, people care. And I want to be able to just encourage you during this month, there are a lot of events going on. And so I encourage you to go to the events and to just check in with us, check in to see some of the things that we're doing and find the love. So I'm all about love and kindness, all about it. That's all I want to do is share love and kindness with my audience and to you. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. And so we are preparing for our domestic violence walk on October the 16th. And so I'm trying to do interviews with some of our guests that are going to be at the walk, that are going to be performing. We have DJs, cotton candy, free popcorn. You can bring out your kids because our kids need to know about domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and what is happening and so they can prevent it and so that they can prevent it from happening to themselves and to other people as well. So I am going to bring on Carlay Wilson. She is our guest tonight. So here we go. Hello, Carlay. Hi, how are you? I am great. We are going to talk about body armor and domestic violence and just raise raise some awareness from a different standpoint. So I'm excited and honored that you're here with me tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for welcoming me. Thank you for all of the work that you do to raise awareness about this issue. You're welcome. You're welcome. Can you tell the audience a little bit about Carlay? Okay. Um, my name is Carlay. I grew up in Louisiana, Southern Louisiana. Um, I grew up in a very musical family. And um, I also did a lot of athletics. So when I graduated from high school, I went on to Yale and I competed on the track and field team there. Um, and I completed my degree. I got a bachelor's in philosophy there. And, um, you know, it was a very hard four years. Like, it, I mean, Yale is hard, yeah. no matter what. <laughs> but it was also really hard because I wasn't doing music. I was doing sports. Um, so... I actually had a hard time navigating that because it was the longest I've gone like in my life without like doing music. Um, so I had a hard time adjusting and it was just kind of, you know, uh, living a completely different lifestyle. You know, the East Coast is a lot different than the South. <laughs> um, so I struggled a lot with loneliness and um, not having family around and really my identity, just not knowing who I am because um, I didn't have anyone around me who I grew up with. Um, so after graduating from Yale, I um, briefly moved to the Virgin Islands, which is where my mom was living at the time. And I had a very hard time uh, transitioning, did not really have a job or anything. And 
I started dating someone who was actually living in Philadelphia. So after feeling like, you know, I wasn't going to make it in the Virgin Islands, I did end up moving to Philadelphia. So that's where I started. I got started in my career um, with fair housing, civil rights, teaching, and actually had my first studio session that I did all by myself. So that's kind of like the beginning of my story, which has led me to where I am now. Yeah. So congratulations on going to Yale. It sounds like to me, you were that the golden child. You went to college, you were sports, music, people had very high expectations of you. Is that, that's the, the girl of Carly? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I remember like in kindergarten and first grade, that's like when I started realizing that I was different because everyone around me would always say like, you're perfect. Every, like you're good at everything you do and you're perfect. I'd be like, perfect, like what? Right. <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, but I do remember that and uh, it did make things a little harder because it was like, if I didn't do things as well as I always did them, people would call, call it out. You know, they'd be like, oh, you know, she didn't get an A on that test or, you know, she didn't make that basket on the basketball game. Like, oh, you didn't score the winning point. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But was some of that you were hard on yourself? Um, I actually, honestly, like, I don't really think I was that hard. On my, I think I gave myself a lot of grace. I think I just enjoyed everything I did. I just tried okay. to have fun. And for me, like being competitive was fun. Um, so I always, I had a lot of fun as a kid. I'll say growing up, doing my activities, I had a lot of fun. I did not think my talents would take me to Yale. I never once thought that. But I'm proud of you. <laughs> I am. When Lewis was talking about you, he was like, and she bought a house and she's so young. She's educated. She's a musician. He speaks so highly of you. And I just couldn't wait to actually meet you, at least virtually, until we get to meet on the 16th. And so I was excited about just having this conversation because you are the epitome of a Black woman, right? You're doing great things and we always need to see that. And you teach, so you're doing great things. And I think that's important that we look at that. So fast forward, we get to you and your first relationship, your big major relationship in Philly. Yes. So, yeah, this is my first time moving in with someone, living with them, and just feeling like this was the next step in my life. Um, I think one thing that I was hard on myself about was finding a husband, um, the way I was raised. And I think the way a lot of Black girls are raised in the South, you're made to feel like, your ultimate goal is to find a husband, right? And get married, settle down, have kids and be the perfect wife and mom. And so I was really honestly disappointed in myself that I did not find that at Yale. And even before I got to Yale, I was being told by adults in my life that when I get to Yale, I should be looking for a husband <laughs> and being told these are the only men that will ever understand you. These are the only men you'll ever meet in your life that will like understand how hardworking you are and how smart you and talented you are. So I got to Yale and uh, no dice. <laughs> um, it was very difficult, difficult environment. I was not used to that environment at all. Um, so 
I had a very hard time dating. I did date and um, nothing really worked out. Uh, and, you know, so after graduating Yale, my goal was really not to find a career. I was trying so hard to find a partner. And I felt like even though I graduated from Yale, even though I was a record setting track athlete, <laughs> um, I felt like I didn't accomplish what I was supposed to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I met someone in Philadelphia who told me everything that I was waiting to hear from the men on campus at Yale. He was gonna marry me. You know, I was so beautiful and smart and innocent and he wanted me to have his children. And the, this was like the first time I'm like hearing things like this, you know? So I took it very seriously and uh, I moved in with him. And, you know, I was very adamant about you know, getting a job. And he told me, you know, you don't have to work. I'll take care of you and you don't have to do that. And I was like, that's so nice of him. Like, look how, you know, special and perfect right. he is. But I still wanted to work. So I found a job. I was a teaching assistant and I wasn't making much money. <laughs> I was making, I was making $10 an hour and I was working like five hours a day. And honestly, it was just fun for me. And I didn't think I needed to work that much because he kept telling me that I didn't yeah. need to work. So I was like, well, I'm gonna just find a job that's fun and rewarding. And I did. And, um, you know, once I started working, it became, our relationship became less romantic. And it was like, he was offended by the fact that I wanted to work and that I was leaving the house every day to go work. Um, so, you know, that was like my first sign. Um, but I think looking back, I saw all these signs and I never put together that I was in a toxic, abusive relationship. And now the light is so, <laughs> it's so clear to me, you know, all of the subtle things at the beginning that were signs of the abuse. Um, and uh, sometimes I'm thankful for the experience because I didn't have anyone to teach me about that. I never learned about, they don't teach you in college <laughs> how to avoid a toxic relationship. And unfortunately no one in my life had taught me how to do that. The one thing, Carly, I do believe that we should be talking about it in schools very early, very early, because it's not just happening once we become an adult. It's actually happening when we are a child as well. Um, teen dating violence is real. The numbers are high. And so I like the fact that you say that we should have been talking about it. You never talked about it. You never had an opportunity for somebody to sit down and have this conversation with you. They'll tell you, well, don't let nobody hit you. But they don't tell you like the red flags, right? That could come. So I'm glad that you did start learning the lesson, even though it's after the fact. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes people think, oh, um, I think a lot of times I didn't want to face what was happening because I didn't want to see myself as damaged. Mm -hmm. um, and I've learned that, you know, 
I'm not damaged. <laughs> um, what do they say about diamonds, right? Like you have to go through a whole bunch of, uh, the diamond has to go through a whole bunch of cutting and chipping to be shaped into the million dollar piece that it becomes, right? And so I, I had to kind of accept that I can be whole and live a happy, thriving, fulfilling life um, after being a victim. And um, that I think the hardest part is like accepting that like this is happening to you. Um, that was the hardest part, but for me, it came as soon as the abuse became physical. So that's something I talk about a lot in my book. I talk about all the different types of abuse because a lot of times people think that domestic violence is just physical. Um, but the truth is that a lot, there's a lot of different types of abuse and they are all early warning signs before it gets physical. It rarely just starts off as physical. There's all these subtle things that build up into the abuser lose just completely losing control and resorting to physical violence um, because they've exhausted all the other mechanisms that they have. Um, so now I am very, my eyes are very open and I'm, I'm very careful with people. And um, I just try to make sure that I don't allow, you know, anyone to get too, I don't, I try not to let myself get too vulnerable, which can be difficult, but at the same time, like, I think um, there's this victim blaming thing. And then there's also, as a survivor, learning how to, like relearning how to live, right? Yeah. And so it's not like blaming yourself for the abuse that you went through, but like, unlearning some behaviors and then learning new tactics and ways to make sure that you don't become a victim again. Um, because I was talking to a friend about this the other day, but a lot of abusers are narcissists and people like narcissists, they actively seek out people who have already been abused, maybe as children or people who are like really nice and really easygoing, they'll actively seek out these people because they see them as easy targets. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, it's important to not stop being that nice, loving, caring person, but to also learn ways to not allow anyone to hurt you. How did you get out of your abusive relationship? How did you escape out of that? Because I think that's important for people to hear the next level. Oh my gosh. It was a long process and I would I would love to meet someone who could who um has had an easier time. I think it's so hard. For me it was a lot of strategy, strategizing. The first the first step was counseling. Um I actually was so before I realized before I was putting it together that like this person is a narcissist and like the relationship's not going to work. I was like, let's get couples counseling because, you know, I made every excuse for him. Right. Every time. And I, I read a meme earlier today and someone said, 
Um, you know, I was so in love that I made excuses for the person that was hurting me. And so that's like what I was doing. It's like every time he hurt me, I was like trying to understand what he was going through instead of like <laughs> helping myself and healing myself. And so it's like, I was just putting up with it. And I'm telling you, you would not recognize me if you saw me back then. Like I looked so different. I didn't have any hair. I literally cut all my hair off. I didn't take care of myself that well because I had spent every moment, every piece of energy I had taking care of him yeah. while he was hurting me, right? So that process was really long. I was like, let's go to couples counseling. And I heard of this program. It was actually a free program in Philly um, called, uh, oh, I forgot what it's called. But it was basically a, a program that helps abusers and their victims. So you're supposed to go as a couple, but like you're supposed to agree that one of you is abusive, right? And you're supposed, and I don't know till this day if that's just like kind of like a trick to get the victim to come um, because he never came. <laughs> it was supposed to be uh, couples counseling. And I think I went to like five sessions and he never showed up. And by the fifth one, the therapist was looking at me and she was like, he's not coming. <laughs> and I was like, what? She was like, Carla, he's not coming. She was like, you is not coming. So that was the first step. He, oh, Carla, you going in and out. I'm like, I know you got coming. good stuff to say because your your um your Wi-Fi is going in and out. Can you hear me? Oh, am I here now? I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you now. You just keep going in and out a little bit. Can you hear me? The last thing was the therapist told you that he was not coming. That no. we can necessarily hear. You know, sometimes when somebody got like the best story ever, <laughs> it's like when you get to the good juicy point, they go out. One thing about technology is never really stable. So I'm sorry that Carla is going in and out. Hopefully it fixes itself and she's able to finish because I really want to hear about how this therapist told her he is not coming and so, so that she can actually um, move forward. And if you know any programs that it's counseling and both people go, that is a good way. That's a good test to be able to determine if somebody is serious about the relationship or not, how they perform, perform and act in counseling. So it's really important that you pay attention to that. All right, Carla. And okay, am I here? You're sort of. You're you're not on screen though. There you go. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
So yeah, um, after accepting that he wasn't coming, um, I kept going and it just became like a lot about strategizing because our lives were so intertwined that I was trying to figure out how to slowly peel my life away from his without like alerting him to what I was doing. Right. And that was the hardest part, right? And especially when you're dealing with a narcissist, that's gonna be the hardest part because they're all about control. They wanna control you. They wanna make sure that you never leave and that they always have you to themselves. So yes, I did buy a house. Um, he was actually in nursing school. So we had like kind of split our finances to where I was taking care of the bills, all of them. And you got that mommy look. Oh, Lord. Um, I, um, so yeah, so I was paying all the bills and he was taking care of our daughter's daycare bill. So that's the only bill he was paying. I was paying everything else. And that's another form of abuse that I talk about in my book, financial abuse, right? Um, <laughs> I started off, like I said, I was making $10 an hour, but like two weeks into that job, all of a sudden my whole check was going to our bills. Right. After being told for months that I didn't have to work and he was going to take care of all the bills, all of a sudden I didn't really have any money to spend on myself. So, um, yeah, so he really was taking care of her daycare, which is expensive, especially for babies. But I was taking handling all the other bills. Everything, so, yeah. yeah, so for me, I was like, you know, my main thing is I need to figure out how to be able to move away without becoming homeless, you know, with all these bills I have now. I have a mortgage. I have a car note, car insurance. Um, and I put my house up for rent. And I did not want him to know what I was doing. And I was applying for jobs in Louisiana. And, you know, I was making all of this happen. And it's just so amazing how when <laughs> you need something to happen, it's going to happen, right? So the job I applied for in Louisiana, I was perfectly qualified for. The job had actually been open for a year and a half and they couldn't find anybody. And they were having a hard time finding, they, it was getting to the point where they felt like they might not find someone because you needed a certain level of credentials and training and knowledge. And I had literally all of it. I checked every box and they paid for my moving expenses. <laughs> and, um, this all was happening before things got violent. So I was all, so I was actually like, you know, maybe we can still make this work. You know, I've been going through counseling. Maybe eventually he can come. And he was talking about going to the army. And I was like, maybe we can still do this together. So I, but I waited until I got to the point where I knew that my moving expenses were paid for. I had a tenant ready to move, you know, before I told him what was going on because I did not want him to sabotage it, right? I wanted to make sure that even if he decided that he wasn't coming, that I could still go. So that's what I did. 
I told him. He was really upset. He tried to hide it and he it was very confusing. It was and that's the other thing about abusers. They can be very confusing because, you know, they're they're they try to be strategic too. So it was like me strategizing around someone who was like actively strategizing to keep me from leaving, right? right? Um so I did uh tell him he was really upset, but he eventually left and went on a cruise. He was, he asked me if I wanted to go on a cruise with him. And I was like, this is a really weird time, you know, to go on a cruise because it was during his finals. Um, it was during his finals. And I was just like, don't you have a bunch of tests coming up? And he was like, yeah, well, I took all my finals and you've never been on a cruise and I've never been on a cruise. So I think, you know, we should just do it. And I was like, well, we don't have a babysitter. You know, my, my whole family was in Louisiana. His family was not supportive at all. Um, I was like, we don't even have a babysitter. Like there's no way we can go on a cruise. I can't take off work. And um, it was like a Groupon thing. So it was like a crew, literally a cruise to the Bahamas for like $50. So he just really, really wanted to go. And I said, no. And he went, um, but I didn't know that he went. He told me that he went to visit his brother in Florida. So I was just like, okay. I wasn't putting two and two together because it was just the last thing on my mind. I was, you know, just trying to make it through the last couple of weeks at work so that I could move to Louisiana and start my new life. Turns out he went to the Bahamas with some other woman that he was cheating on me with. So I'm like, I don't know anything. All I know is the whole time he's gone, he's not answering the phone. And I'm like, okay, this is- You knew it was time for you to move though. You yeah. knew it was time for you to move on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was ready. I was ready to move. He wasn't answering the phone. Um, but the problem was he didn't pay for our daughter's school for that week that he was gone. So it was just, he kind of like left things low key in chaos. Um, but I was just getting through it. And- uh, when he came back, he was very hostile towards me. I still didn't know that he was in the Bahamas with a woman. And um, he was just really hostile, like starting fights randomly. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what's what's wrong? Like, what did I do? Like, you were just on vacation. Like, I hope you had fun. Um, but all of a sudden, I'm sorry, you guys. All of a sudden, that that night that he came back around midnight he i was like in bed like you know he was trying to start an argument with me and i was like i just don't want to argue please just leave me alone i'm you know going to sleep so i went to my room i was like just trying to go to bed i think i was trying to get some work done before tomorrow before i had work in the morning and at, around midnight someone's knocking on my door um and he comes to me, he's like, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, the other thing is I had bought my house in the suburbs of Philly. So we weren't like in Philly anymore. We were in the suburbs. Um, so no one knew where we lived. It was a very, very quiet neighborhood, like never, you know, any drama. And um, so someone's knocking on my door. I'm like, I'm thinking like something, this is really bad. So. All of a sudden, like he's telling me, well, don't answer it. I'm like, okay. All of a sudden there's a woman's voice. 
calling his name, saying, we need to talk. And we were just together. We were in the Bahamas. So I put on my robe and I'm like trying to go downstairs and answer the door and see what's going on. He fought me for 20 straight minutes to keep me from opening that door. When I tell you he pulled out, and the other thing is he's he was a professional boxer. He pulled out all kind of moves that I've never seen him do on me to keep me from opening the door. And he was lying. He was saying, that's, that's my brother's girl. I don't know who that is. That's one of my brother's girls. And she has a gun. She's here to kill you. And why would you want to open the door so she can kill you? And I remember at one point during the fight, looking him in the eye and saying, well, he asked me, he was like, do you want to die? And I looked him in the eye and I said, I am willing to die to find out the truth. And it hurts me now knowing I meant that. Yeah. I was willing to die because I was tired of living in this trap. And I knew it was a trap. I didn't know what the problem was. Every week I'm in camp therapy, talking it out, just trying to figure out what's the problem. And I can see that my therapist is doing her best to get me to care more about me, but I'm still just so concerned about him and trying to figure out why doesn't, what happened, what did I do wrong? He loved me and all of a sudden now he doesn't. You know, he hadn't touched me in two years. We were living in the same house. We slept in separate rooms for two years. We had a three bedroom for the last two years of our relationship. And he was in one bedroom, I was in the other. And I was like, I just don't know what's wrong with me. And it messes with your head so bad that it's to the point that you would rather die than keep going through it. And I knew that whatever was on the other side of that door was the answer. If she had a gun, I didn't care because he had a sword, a literal sword that he pulled out of the case and was wielding at me to keep me from opening that door. And it's just such a crazy story when, when I try to tell people and I bring up the part that he pulled out a sword on me and they, they don't believe me. But he literally pulled out a sword on me to keep me from opening the door to find out that he was cheating. And so this day, some of his family members will say, well, you know, cheating, you like cheating isn't that bad. And everybody, you know, goes through cheating. And I tell them I did not leave him because he cheated on me. I left him because he put his hands on me. He threatened my life. Uh, one point in the, the end of the fight was when he threw me into the wall and the way I landed on the wall, my head hit the corner of the thing around the door and it bust my head wide open and I still have a scar to this day and I was bleeding everywhere. And I think that was the moment where he like snapped back and realized what was going on. He had completely lost control. At one point in the fight, he had me in a headlock. I was on the ground. Well, he pulled me to the ground and he had me in this crazy chokehold 
The only reason I got out was because I had on my robe. He had me in a chokehold and he had me there for about two minutes and I was struggling to get out. And once I realized that he was just too strong, I started taking off my robe. I pulled off my robe, slipped out of his grip, ran to the door. Before I could get to the door, he slammed me against the wall, knocked my head into the mantle and my head bust open. He stops and goes to get a towel and tries to pat my blood as if to help me. And I'm looking at him like, you think a towel? I need a go, I need stitches. So the girl, when she hears what's happening, she finally leaves. This has been going on for about 30 minutes. And then I tell him, I start crying to him and I was just like, really, you were cheating the whole time. And it's in the moment I was hurt because I kept trying to leave that relationship for over a year. I've been trying to leave the relationship and he kept telling me, well, but I love you. And, and I'm just like, but how, like, how do you love me? You don't even, we don't even kiss. We're not even intimate. You seem to hate me. Like you act like you hate me. You leave every time I ask you to help me with our baby. One time I asked him to bathe her because I was so tired. I used to bring her to work with me. Which I was so tired, I asked him to please bathe her so that I could eat without having to breastfeed while I'm eating. He literally left. He left the house because I asked him to help me. And then like, and that became the norm. Anytime I asked him to help, he would just leave. So I was just like, why are we even together, you know? And he begged me to stay. And I was like, but the whole time you're cheating, why? And then he was like, well, that's just how I feel. That's what I wanted to do. And I said, well, get your stuff and leave. And he was like, I'll leave tonight, but I'll be back, you know, in the morning. And I was like, no, get all your stuff and leave. And he was like, I'm not getting my stuff. And I was like, listen, get your stuff now. Cause whatever you leave, I'm bagging it up and I'm putting it in the front yard for you to pick up tomorrow. And he was just was like, he didn't take me seriously. And he was like, oh no, whatever, you'll calm down and you'll get over it. Meanwhile, the whole time my head is like oozing blood. And he's like, he's going to like go lay down. And he's like, I'm gonna go lay down. We can talk about this in the morning. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and then um, I was like, you have to go now. And he was like, well, if you want me to leave now, you're gonna have to call the police cause I'm not going anywhere. So I was like, okay. So I get on the phone, call the police. And uh, you know, like I said, we were in the suburbs. We weren't in inner city Philly anymore. Right. We were in the suburbs. So when I called the police, I, I wasn't even expecting this. I didn't know this about the suburbs either. I called the police. <laughs> I'm telling you the police were there in less than five minutes. I think it might've been three minutes. The police, there were like five police outside of my house. He wasn't expecting it neither. He was literally laying in the bed thinking they weren't coming. And he ran to the basement. The police waited for him for about 20 minutes before they finally just entered the house and went and got him. And uh, he was taken away in a police car and I had to wake my baby up. And I was taken away in an ambulance, brought to the ER, got my head stitched up while my daughter was
sitting there watching me get my head stitched up. So, you know, these are the things I think about sometimes when, you know, he'll gaslight me about court dates and, you know, and I'm not this type of guy. And they were, I was in the police car and I'm like, yeah, I was in an ambulance. And, right. you know, people don't always understand, like, if I had hit the wrong angle, I literally could have died. That's my head. And yeah, so I was ready to go at that point. I already had the job, you know, I already had the job. So at that point it was like, it's just time to go. So I left my other job a little earlier than I was expecting, but I had about a month before I started my new job. And I used that month to pack and stay home with my kid and transition to New Orleans. And I moved to New Orleans. Once I moved to New Orleans, that's when I started writing my book. That's when I started uh, singing with a reggae band. And that's when I decided that I wanted to be a singer and I was really gonna do it. Yeah. So first of all, when you were sharing your story, we felt like we were there with you. Like I was in the moment with you. And sometimes we look at life and be like, how did I even end up there? Like we could feel you're in this moment trying to figure out why you were even there, how this could be happening. You know, and the song Body Armor, we talked about body armor and he used the sword against you and just standing up to him. Like, I'm so proud of you because sometimes people don't call the police because the five police cars might come in the ambulance. It's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing. And you blamed yourself so much for all the things that he was doing. And your story is so common, and I'm glad that you're sharing it because people don't understand. Why did you stay? You was trying to make your relationship work, you know, and sometimes family is not supportive. And out of all of that, what you shared with us today, I'm going to tell you the part that I, took, that I took away was that you left him for cheating. No, you left him because the brother was trying to kill you. So, like, I just don't understand why people say the dumbest things when you're trying to get away and you're trying to make a better life and they still take up for the abuser, you know, and that yes. is the behavior. And so I'm just happy that you live, you survive, and you're on your healing journey. You wrote a book and you're singing now. So tell us about your singing, Carla, because you're you're on a whole nother level now. Oh my gosh. So um, first of all, I'm so thankful like to be with a label that supported me with this, especially the song Body Armor, because um the music industry is very rough. <laughs> a lot of people that I tried to work with before I found Fox Records were, you know, trying to get me to over-sexualize and do that and do this. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and it, I mean, it was, it's fun, you know, it's fun, it's whatever. But, you know, when I met Lewis and he brought me the instrumental for Body Armor and he said, this song is called Body Armor. And it's about, and he told me, he ran, he ran it down. He was like, it's about, you know, when you're just dealing with somebody who just, puts you through so much and you have to literally feel like you're putting on a body armor to get away from them. And I was like, he didn't know anything about me. But I was like, I know all about that. <laughs> I was like, I could, I was like, I could write to that. And, and then I was like, the instrumental, I was like, this is perfect for my voice. And I was like, I got this. 
And he was like, okay. You know, it was kind of, I could tell he was just like, you know, whatever. I'm gonna let her try and see what happens. But I think it was a perfect match. And I think sometimes um, when, like I said, like when you choose yourself, things fall into place the way they're, suppo they're supposed to. Um, because I worked with a lot of producers <laughs> and a lot of people who were trying to help me make music. And it did not, uh, it didn't stick. And it didn't make that, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense the way this song made sense. And so I do feel like I was chosen for this and I was supposed to write this song and I was supposed to help other people heal with it. I love it. I love it. You know, sometimes our music industry, it is over-sexualized. And what I love about you, when I started looking at your website and everything, I was like, she reminds me of India Ari. So I love me some India Ari. She's true to who she is. She has natural beauty. You have natural beauty. You just smile. You're a single mother. You're educated. Like You are an example for other women. And I know it's hard for you to receive that. Right. But I just want to show you so much love and pour into you because you truly are an amazing artist. And I'm excited that you're doing music for survivors like you're representing a body armor of how you have to fight back and how you did. And you left, you know, you survived. And that is very empowering. So I, mean, I just really am impressed with that. And for all of you. Carlea is going to perform Body Armor at our Domestic Violence Walk on October 16th. So you'll be able to hear her perform. And we're going to put the video in the comments. So you'll be able to come back and look at the video so you can hear her song, Body Armor. And the video is amazing. Um, how did you act out the video of being the abused woman? How did that make you feel? It was hard. It was hard. Um... I've, I have experience acting. So um, <clears throat> my last role in, when I was in Philly, I, I played a slave and a slave woman with a child. And I had to sing and I had to really like connect with that character in a way that I had to like see myself as a modern day slave. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was able to like get the emotion through to the audience. And I, it took a lot of work and it took a lot of like digging into myself and thinking about family members and people who I care about, who I may be having talked to in a long time, but like piecing all these things together and looking at my life like as a book and um, like rewriting my life to like try to make myself feel like a slave. So it took like months for me to get into character for that. So for this video, um, I only had about one month <laughs> to prepare and it was hard because I knew that I was going to have to like relive certain things and um, I also knew that I would have people there on set who I love and who love me who could support me. So that was really, really helpful. Uh, shout out to Elsie, my best friend who was on set. And um, I also had to take myself out during the body armor video. Um, I think a big part of it was taking myself out and like thinking about other survivors who I knew. So I actually have a lot of friends who are survivors, male and female. And for certain scenes, I would like re 
collect them telling me about, you know, what they went through. So like, especially like there's a scene with the car. I remember really putting myself back and thinking about my friend who had described to me so many instances where her uh, abuser had, uh, they would have fights in the car all the time. And she would tell me about all of them. So I kind of tried to channel her and think about her and um, try to take myself out a little bit, uh, right? Because um, it's not just my story anymore. Like now it's our story, right? And I'm trying to connect with all of the survivors. Um, I didn't want it to just be about me. I want it to be about all of our collective stories. I love it. Because for me, I'm always thinking about other survivors. What I say and how I'm going to impact other people is so important. And I'm proud of you because when I looked at the video, I said, how can she go through the domestic violence again? Even though you're acting, it seems so real. And I'm sure that you must have had some type of flashback thinking in that moment. But I understand now you you took yourself out of it. And so that's important to be able to do that. And so I am impressed. I am really impressed with that. <laughs> All right. So we got about 15 minutes left. So I wanted to know, did you have any last words, some encouraging words to share with our audience? And like, I'm really happy about you shared your story tonight. Yeah, I think my, my most important thing that I always tell friends or even strangers that I meet is that I, I want you to think about kind of what I was saying earlier when, you know, I told him that I was willing to die you know, to know the truth. Um, and uh, what led to me being willing to die was me actually having put my life on the line every single day for this person. So I think, you know, when you're dating and when you're realizing that you're in a toxic relationship, my advice would just be to think about how much of yourself is going into that relationship. And are you still you? or are you losing yourself, right? Because if you lose too much of yourself, you could get to a point where it, it does become life and death. And a lot of people don't think that that could ever be them, but you have to realize I graduated from Yale, right? People, when they find out I graduated from Yale, they usually think like my life is set, you know, everything's gonna be gravy. And I thought that. I, when I went to Yale, I thought, I, I decided to go to Yale because I assumed that if I am a Yale graduate, my life is gonna be great. It's gonna be easy and I'm gonna have a lot of money and success and I won't have problems that most black women go through. I literally thought that, but I did. So I would just wanna want people who are going through this now or who haven't been through it, but find themselves in toxic relationships to think about how much of yourself you're losing in that relationship and weigh how much are you willing to lose? And are you willing to get to a point where you, if you have two doors and one is you're opening that door to find out, is he cheating on me or not? And the other door is possible death. Do you wanna to get to a point where those are your two options? Cause it's very real. Like that is something that becomes real, really fast. Um, and then also just realizing anyone who puts you in danger at any point, whether it's a romantic partner, a sibling, a parent, a friend, stay away from them. 
you know, I gave this speech to my first graders yesterday and uh, everyone might not approve of it, but I taught them YOLO, right? Because you only live once, you know, we don't, I, I mean, I don't really know if we only live once, but while I'm here, I'm going to at least try to live like I only live once. And, you know, every word in that statement is a word that first graders should be able to read. And so that's why I was going over this with them. But, you know, you have this life. And the only thing that we know for sure is that we will die. We don't know when. But please don't let your death be at the hands of someone who is abusing you. Please do what you can to get away from them. If you have to strategize, even if it takes a while, you know, it took me a year to get out of that relationship. If it takes you a while, it could take you longer. Please at least be working towards getting away from them. Find help. Lean into people who want to help you. And think about yourself. Put yourself first when you're seeking help. When you realize that you're a victim and you need help, stop trying to be there for everyone else. Use that time to get yourself together. Because a lot of time, us victims and survivors, we're the people that want to help everyone. And you can lean on me and tell me your problems and I'll come and I'll, but at a certain point when you realize that you are the victim right now, stop for as long as you can and focus on yourself. And it's not selfish, it's survival. And when you're on the other side, which is something I, talk about in my song, when you're on the other side, you can go back and start helping people again. But wait till you get to the other side, because I'm telling you, it is so great over here. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I get to smile. I didn't smile like this when I was with him, when I was going through this. So that's all I, <laughs> that's my main thing. I really want people to understand what this is. I'm to see you there because I'm over here and I'm still also healing. Um, and yeah, that's it. I love it. Oh, I love it. You summed it up. Here in South Carolina, we are six when it relates to women being killed due to domestic violence. It's real. It's real. I was at the state house today and we was doing a silent witness ceremony and calling out men and women names who were killed in 2020, even during COVID, you know, they died and you are right. You have to get out of that relationship, you know, especially if you don't try counseling and you still are not happy. There are a lot of resources. One thing that I love to do is to do exit strategies. That's why I want to know how did you get out? It is so important about the other side. How did you get out? And so we come up with some strategies of how we're going to get out. And you don't say, I'm leaving. Don't tell them nothing. You got to be quiet when it's time to leave. <laughs> I love that you were quiet. You cannot tell them that you're leaving the relationship because they would do everything in their power to stop you. And so that's a really good example of how extra strategies really work. I mean, you had a whole job. <laughs> yes. So it's yes. possible. And you got the job to pay for you to move. Those yeah. are great tips for those that don't really know what it is that they want to do. How can they get to the next level? And so I'm happy about that, that you were able to figure that out. And you are a Yale graduate. And I want people to know that 
It happens to everybody. It has nothing to do with race, you know, your background, your culture, if you're rich. A majority of my clients are middle class, are educated. This is not a poor thing where people think just because you're poor. It is affecting everybody and families. And so, and I saw your daughter, like, I know you were kind of frustrated. You had that mama look like, if you don't move, you know. <laughs> but it was oh important. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we had an opportunity to see your beautiful daughter and what you Thank live you. for. You know, you fight, yes. you fight for her. And so that is important. So don't feel bad that your daughter came on screen. I was just like, hi, you know. <laughs> I have kids myself. She so, loves the spotlight. Listen. Yeah, yeah. So it was important. She's a a young star in the making. I always tell people she's got it. (laughs) She's got it. Yeah, she got it. So I'm really thankful for your story. And you have quite a few comments. Like the the chat was very active, and I tried to put it up so that people can see what everybody was saying. And people were really saying good things to you that you had a powerful testimony and praising God and God is good. Like you manifested, you spoke that thing and got out of that relationship. And I'm so happy for you. You know, you, you had the real body armor. You did that. And um, Sharon, she said that she's a victor of domestic violence. Thank you, Sharon, for deciding to hush no more. Um, I think that is very important. And Stephanie said the same thing. So when survivors come forward and they tell us, yeah, I, I walk this too. Sherry, I walk this too. You know, it is so important because it lets us know that we're not alone. You right. know, we're not alone in this journey. So I'm really impressed. So thank you. Thank you. So how can people reach Carlay? How can we find out more information about you? Okay, the best thing to do is go to my website. It's www.carlaywilson.com. So it's K-A-R-L-E-H wilson.com. On my website, you'll find the links to all my social media. And the best thing you can do is click that follow button on my website. Sign up with your email. So that way, when I send out email blasts about my new music video or my EP dropping, you'll be the first person to know about it. Yeah. And where are you going to be performing? Yes. So that's important because we need to be able to see you live because I love live music. So, so where are you performing? Where are you going to be at? And please follow Carla. She needs to get a good following. Because the more following you have, the more people bring you out to perform and more opportunities to come for her. And she's really doing a great job. And so Carlay is going to be with us next Saturday. So I am excited to meet you, Carlay. I can't wait. Are you bringing your daughter? (laughs) (laughs) She would sing. Listen, she would probably sing the song by herself if I brought her. She knows it word for word. That's her favorite song. Every time we're in the car, she's like, Mommy, can you please play your song? And she sings it and she loves it. But no, she's going to stay here with my cousin. <laughs> look, look, I'm telling you, kids are welcome. Kids are welcome in our walk. So you, I don't want you to be like, well, I don't have a babysitter. So she's welcome to come. But I get it because sometimes you just need your alone time. So come on to Columbia, South Carolina. Enjoy that Southern hospitality. I'm going to show you some love. My team is going to love on you. and We're going to have a good time. I'm so excited. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have, I'm giving out so much stuff, bags, free popcorn, cotton candy, vendors, sponsors, like they're all going to just come out. We're doing face and body painting. You know, you go to wear your mask, so we're going to paint around your mask, you know. Okay. So we have a lot of things planned this week, and I'm really excited um, that I'm we're going to be excited, too. Yeah. I'm really excited. I'm excited for my first performance of body armor to be at your event i honestly 
have not i've Per, I haven't performed it since it's been released. So I'm really, really excited. This is going to be very special. And, you know, purple has always been my favorite color. So and that's why I say I feel like I was made to do this. And I'm I'm excited. I'm thankful for you for creating this event. Yeah, thank you. I can't wait. So I love just having community events where we all come together to meet good people. There's so many good people in our communities, but we don't always get to meet them. So that excites Especially me. Especially because of the community. pandemic. And especially you know, because of that. I yeah. haven't met anybody in two years. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I used to meet people all the time. And ever since this started, I just be like, man, I don't, you know, it's a lot of online stuff. So I'm excited, you know, to finally do something live. Yes. All right. So this month, we have so many events going on. I am so excited about the month of October. We are going to be super, super busy. On October the 9th, we have the Purple Gala here in Columbia, South Carolina. There's only a few tickets left. So if you want to come out, get fancy with us, even during COVID, we're going to be wearing masks. Come out. I'll be speaking at that event. Uh, October 14th is Wear Purple Day. So please wear your purple. You could text me. You could message me your pictures. You could tag us on Facebook. But wear purple and show survivors that you support them. And also on the 14th, We'll be at Charlotte Air Force Base doing a candlelight vigil. That is going to be a nice event. Um, I am Army, but I support the Air Force as well. <laughs> and so we're going to be out there making some noise and celebrating families and survivors. And then we have concealed weapon permit training on the 23rd of October. I believe that if you want to carry a weapon, defend yourself, learn how to use it and do it safely. So we're going to be doing some concealed weapon permit training. And then on the 30th of October, we're going to have the Grace International Gala. I'll be speaking there too. It's going to be another fancy event. So this month, you got two times that you can get fancy with us and dress up. And then every Tuesday, we have Hush No More Champions. So next Tuesday, it's going to be Reverend, Reverend Melanie Griffin, and she's going to talk about spiritual abuse in the church. That's going to be a good one because I love talking about domestic violence from a church lens. And then the next Tuesday, it'll be Attorney Kelly Darden, and she's going to talk about the legal aspects of domestic violence. Did you know that you can get a lawyer? And there are lawyers out there that will fight for you as it relates to domestic violence. We're going to talk about what are the laws that are there to protect you. And then we are going to have Surviving Pure Hell from Misty. Misty is going to talk about her experiences and how she's on the next level in healing. I'm all about healing and how can we change our lives to get to the next level. So thank you for joining us. If you don't have nothing to do on Thursday nights, we always have art therapy at 7 p.m. You don't need to know how to draw. You just need to know how to show some love and join us to have some fun. Thank you once again, Carly, for being an amazing guest, for just showing your beautiful smile. And just knowing that you're making a difference one person at a time. Thank so you. So Thank good. you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Peace and blessings, you all. Show some love to Carly and make sure you show some love for domestic violence survivors on your social media. Peace and blessings.